I did want to get John on the uh, show today. Well, yeah, because uh, I, I had a had a interesting question for him with his background. Oh, there's, hey, there's TJ. TJ. What's happening? Oh, good. Hail, hail the gang's all here. <laughs> what? Oh, my microphone. <laughs> oh, TJ, no. What the hell? No, TJ. What? Your audio's off. Yeah, vote, vote for uh, broadband internet in uh, Washington State. One second. Oh, yeah. One second. Vote, yes. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Now we can. There yeah, you are, John. Sound good, John. Yeah, no, uh, sorry about that, Aaron. Uh, it was on my end. Um, I had to uh, reboot reboot the computer for some reason. My mic was not working. I don't know why, but reboot. Oh, uh, it, it today was the day, man. It was um, the day of everything is only going to work about ninety three percent. All right, all right. How do, I, how do I sound now? You sound like you're in an oil drum. Yeah, like an oil drum. <laughs> Like you're working on a boiler from a steam engine in 1898. Oh, I got, I got my heat. I got my, I got my electric heater on. Let me turn it off. But it's an echo. You can hear them, but yeah, I mean, it's unbearable. That's a little vintage to the show. It's a little vintage. Yeah. Do you have a microphone, TJ? I'll freeze you to death. Are you speaking into a cup? I'll freeze to death, but. That's all right. <clears throat> anyway, well, gentlemen, it's good to have you all here. Guys, all uh, go out and vote. Yeah, and actually, I got a story to share on that. Oh, please do. So, got I got done voting, and I'm watching this uh, maybe 35 year old lady who brought her daughter to the poll. Which, you know, I guess that's okay. But the part when you also like hand the lady my ID and all this process, I'm like, okay, there's like a long line here. The lady gets done voting, tells her daughter to stand to the side. She steps away. This lady pulls a camera from her purse, holds up her ballot, does a selfie. Immediately, oh immediately, the, uh, you know, the staff are on her. You know, we, we need to see your phone. Picture needs to be gone. Does it sync to anything? The lady's like, I didn't know I couldn't do this. I'm like, how do you not know? You can't what? take a picture of yourself and a ballot plus everybody behind you when you're done voting. What moron I did, does I, I that? Did, I didn't know that was a rule. Why is that? I mean, just for safety or privacy's sake or what? Well, yeah. I mean, she's she has the ballot, which you can't take a photo of the ballot, you know, while the election's taking place. Oh, okay. You can't take any photos in the voting area. And and there were some signs up to that effect. You know, as you came in, they, they said, you know, cell phones must remain in your pockets and things like that. So... I don't know. It just seemed. <laughs> What's well, uh, tacky as hell? That's I mean, like, oh look, I'm voting. Like, yeah, good for you. You and you and a hundred million other people are doing. I mean, yeah, you should vote, but I mean, my God, I'm not going to put it up on Facebook with me and my ballot. Yeah, I'm sure that's what she thought. John, are you? Uh, we got two of you on the <laughs> right. John. There's two John Steels. Are you there, there John? Two. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, you oh. got two of me, huh? I... <laughs> Oh, yeah, there is two of me. What the oh, fuck? my goodness, John. Oh, my God. This is... <laughs> is that my fault? Or... Aaron, Aaron <laughs> nailed it. It's a weird day. No, it, it is. It is. Like, um, I have um, all these projects that are waiting on one thing to get done. Like, they are the last... You know, it's like... 
and and it's out of my control. It's uh, in part the artist I've been talking about before, but then there's another guy who was supposed to do some work for me, and he he did the wrong thing, and I'm just like, you know, it, and it, this is where that six sigma or sigma six comes in, yeah. like yeah. like the the error where you try. Well, Doc, you probably know this with your safety and, and statistics, but if you can get only one error every hundred thousand, the economy would go so much faster. Right. So much more efficiently. You wouldn't be wasting your time. Hell, I, I'd i be happy just not having to clean up other people's messes. I mean, half of the goddamn GDP is doing it right the second time or the third time because it wasn't done right the first time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll look at systems sometimes and I'll say, this is much more complicated to design this wrong system than just to simply do it the right way. <laughs> like this, it took many more hours and in, in uh, ingenuity to come up with this completely bizarre process, which you're doing versus just something that's streamlined. I think you, you talked about it, Aaron, once in a podcast where you're talking about some of the trails you'd take for hiking and you looked at it and you'd be like, why in the hell is it laid out like this? Why is it just like more efficient, you know? Well, I, I bet you TJ would probably know even more about that. Like, it, you can, you think there's a rhyme and a reason if you look at the you look at the trails, you can kind of eyeball it like, all right, it makes sense. You're going to get up to that that ridge or that spine, and then you're going to uh, snake your way up. But there's been times where I'm like, nah, screw it. I'm just going to bushwhack it because it's a lot. I can see yeah. it. No, no, that is true. A lot of those trails were not done very well. <laughs> um, I, I did want to throw out one thing about the whole uh, voting thing. So I got a letter in the mail from, I don't know what, some D.C.-based group that showed me my voting record and then showed the voting record, like, you know, what their percentage, their grade was. It didn't say how they voted, but just said how consistently they'd voted. So I got a certain grade. And then it showed all my neighbors in town and how they'd vote, like how often they'd voted. And I was struck by how creepy that is to have somebody mailing me and saying, here's how you voted as far as um, how consistently you vote. And here's your next door neighbor. And here's how he votes. I... The idea that vote whether we voted or not is public record has always unsettled me. I think it's just kind of weird that they would have that data and then they're going to use it's like with the the electric bill, like oh your your neighbors use this much electricity and you use that much. It's right, like, right. Why do I care what my neighbor like? And, and are you showing this to my neighbors? Like oh now were they showing their names? Or was it just an average? Well, yeah, it gives you like a grade from 100% to zero on how often you voted um, mm. since you've been whatever. And I remember one time somebody um, came up to me and asked me whether I'd voted or not. And I just said, it's none of, this was years ago. I said, it's none of your business. And he goes, well, okay, I can look it up anyways. It's public record. And I, I just thought, you, you know, it, I see that being a, I, I don't know what the uh, the right term would be, but where people like all this pressure for people to go out and vote. And then what happens when your employer or somebody is pressuring you to vote and, or, or engage in this. And then of course people, the amount of information that they can look up, these private companies can look up, but they can buy um, from grocery stores or from other places where you have an account and you put in your phone number to buy stuff they use all that to determine what your likely voting record is going to be that's how all these parties are able to do this outreach stuff to potential voters is by figuring out who's most likely to vote for them and one of the ways they do that so i just see this as being really intrusive 
And I, I think that whether we vote or not, it shouldn't be anybody's business. I, I don't like the data science and big data at all. I agree. <laughs> because I agree. it it's, and especially since it became on the onset, like the, the internet, they didn't say, okay, the internet's going to happen 10 years from now. And here's some things you're going to have to do. And you're going to sign, if, if you don't want your information tracked, you sign off here. You know, there was, because it was being evolved. We had no idea what kind of a monster this would grow to be. But now all this data is out there. Um, you know, like you, you have your names on social media accounts or your credit card purchasing information. And they are uh, amalgamating this huge data warehouse, uh, marketing, Google, all of them. And it's like, wait a minute, I, I didn't sign up. Oh, yeah, okay, I, maybe I did sign it on the dotted line. Uh, and like everyone else, I didn't read. I thought this was just going to be kind of a fun thing and you'd sell and market stuff to me. But the granular level where it's like, here's the percent chance you're going to vote, and we're going to we're going to guilt trip you with a with a score with a grade. Right. <laughs> Black oh. By the way, someone is asking. Uh, there's no super chats, Aaron. Oh yeah, let me um, let me explain that. We might as well talk about this now. Um, do you guys know what happened with the Ralph retort? Yes. You know, TJ. Do you know? Um, I don't believe so. I don't. Also, okay. Well, let me. I'll give you the short version. And I'll explain this all here. It's it's basically yet another instance of YouTube and Google uh, being the psycho bipolar girlfriend that you just don't want to stick your dick into, but we have no choice because it's the only girl in town. Um, this guy called uh, Ralph. He run ran a website called the Ralph Retort, and um, in his super chats, um. There was some uh, uh, cursing and swearing, and if you make donations um, that have a, a racist undertone, like you, you do a super chat and you say something racist or you say something sexist or anything that's going to get the algorithm of YouTube up, up and going, uh, if they find that out, um, they will take the donation, the super chat donation, and donate to charity. I'm right. like, you know what? So far, so good. I don't. Really, I mean, I don't think you have the legal right. I think that's an exchange between you and me. But I'm not going to because, for the most part, my my uh, listening audience is not racist or sexist or anything like that. Well, he got enough like 1488 and racist, and people were cutting jokes in the chat room that the Wall Street Journal then contacted YouTube saying, "How can you handle? You know, this is this is kind of racist and sexist, and uh, you know, this is very uncomfortable. This violates the." Rules. Well, sure enough, Ralph Retor gets shut down. Uh, his backup channel gets shut down. And so there is no more Ralph Retor. And where, where I'm getting pissed off, because it's it's YouTube will always do this. Like, hey, here's a new way for you to make money. Oh, by the way, we just changed the rules. Like, you can't, they can't let it exist for a month before they fuck around with it and make it so it's no longer viable to use this money-making operation. So now, you know, you guys with demonetization, running ads, you know what a debacle that's become. Super chats look like, oh, hey, people make a private donation to me. Everything's fine. Well, now that if people make racist super chats, uh, you can have someone come in and torpedo your YouTube channel, even if you're not the one who approved it, because I'm not looking at the chat room the entire time. I'm not I'm not keeping an eye on the super chats. And so I shut, I shut the super chats down. Because, uh, you know, we, we weren't making a ton of money. It was, it was It was some money. It was great, you know, for that whole Two months it might have lasted, but once again, YouTube getting its head up its ass, not realizing. Well, wait, the host he doesn't control what people say on the super chat room uh, or the chat room. So I shut it down, and until 
uh, YouTube has the new policy that says, we understand you don't control the chat room. Uh, there's not going to be super chats. We're just not going to deal with it. And what I will be doing is stream labs because that doesn't even rely on YouTube. But that's that's why the, the super chats are gone, unfortunately. Uh, a caveat to that story, Aaron, is Streamlabs uh, even canceled their uh, thing with Ethan Ralph. Really? Really. Holy shit. It was on uh, Alex Jones, and uh, I just happened to watch that because I'm not. I didn't really watch the the kill stream his show or the or the lot. Yeah, the Ralph Retort, the kill stream, mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Um, uh, uh, too much, and you know, I, I I watched maybe one or two episodes because because it, it's long and just runs on and on. Um, but there is more to that story where that the the last episode, the one where they had to refund the the super chats from, was something called. Uh, the heel stream as opposed to the kill stream mm-hmm. and the money, all the money that was being raised was going to go to St. Jude's children's hospital, you know, the right. hospital mm-hmm. and uh, the wall street journal, um, you know, like, cause they have to butt their nose and you know, you're, you're having wrong think and they went in. So they had raised $26,000 on the Ralph retort for St. Jude's children's hospital and all that money because uh, the wall street journal wrote this article guilting YouTube they, you know, that money was taken away from six kids, sick kids, because because of wrong think. I'm sorry, right. but you have to die of cancer because someone sent th- said something mean over the internet. What I mean, and here's my question: because I <clears throat> was he even saying anything that would violate YouTube's policies or guidelines, or was it just people m- being a bunch of dopes in the chat room? Um, well, I, like I said, I'm not a regular listener of his okay. show, but it. it you know, it, it's basically, you know, comedic. You know, it's kind of like Jerry Springer of the Internet a little bit on radio. Yeah. Um, but he himself doesn't really say anything. Like, he's not like a 1488 or something. I mean, he's like married to like a Pakistani woman. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, he probably leans to the right. But, uh, you know, it's not overtly, you know, racist or anything. But I guess, you know, they make Jew, uh, jokes about Jews or something like that. But nothing, you know, nothing really outrageous no i i understand i just my complaint is more this tiresome waltz we have to do every time youtube does something different um especially when it's something cool like super chats i was like oh this is really neat and it really with without two months going by they got to change the rules or they have a a big flaw where it's like well i know you didn't control that we're still going to hold you reliable and uh, uh responsible um, and it, it just, it's just not worth dealing business. I mean, if you had a business partner that would constantly change the rules, constantly uh, 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 having unfair rules and, oh, well, this other supplier over there, they they got rid of them and then they got rid of these. Other, after a while, it's like, yeah, I can't trust you at all to be a reliable part of, of uh, my, my online media empire here. Um, and, it, it's, and after a while, it's like, you know what? If I just have no monetization from YouTube, you know, I just run my own commercials on on the podcast like an old school radio show would. I think that's the safest way because it is not worth dicking around, signing up for it, logging in, putting in your account information, and then you get like ten or fifteen dollars. Maybe you get a forty dollars super chat day, and oh, we got to shut it down and your entire uh, channel as well. And I, I just don't know. I mean, YouTube doesn't make money. I don't know how it's going to make money if it keeps dicking around like this. Well, that's the that's the point that I think, Cappy, is that these companies are ultimately, like with all monopolies, they're going to end up falling apart. 
they're they're going to be consumed with uh, pushing this agenda and their ideology rather than making a profit. And to be honest, I mean, did you guys hear about how Amazon lost two hundred fifty billion dollars in market value in a month? The the these companies, uh, I just wonder how much of their wealth is completely imaginary. It's an illusion. And when there's a correction in the market, or we have some like the debt bubble burst or something like that, we're going to see these companies really just, uh, you know, crash. They're they're going to crash and burn. They're not going to be able to maintain the hegemony that they have right now. I mean, Google completely owns the search engine uh, market, and so either that or I see people just getting offline because it's they're becoming to the point where these um, talk, using these platforms, and if you don't toe the line, it's like walking into an East Stasi headquarters and talking about how you feel about, you know, the, the East German Communist Party. They're just listening for you. They're listening and waiting for you to say something that they can use to get you in trouble. Well, most people are going to just say, why would I go have a conversation online that could get me in trouble in the future for something that at the time was completely appropriate, but now we've decided today that it's not and I could lose my job or I can go get a cup of coffee or a beer at, at a local brewery and have a chat with my friends and we're not going to get, it's not going to come back to bite us. Um, because well, they're it's, going it's, to drive about, people in the meat space. People are going to go meet in public again and, and interact right. in, in the real world. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be, you know, I'm all for that. Uh, I mean, it's going to, another thing I, I read, I think it was uh, Sticks Hexenheimer did a, a video on this. Apparently uh, in the last year, young people, I guess, People like from 25 and down, uh, 44% of them deleted the uh, Facebook app off their phones. Oh, wow. That's significant. Well, I've always knew that's always been younger people have been abandoning Facebook for quite some time. But heck, Facebook got, I think, a third of its market valuation wiped out a month ago or something like that when the when their projections yeah. of the growth figures were coming. Yeah, out. like this, this wealth is completely illusionary. They don't they, and and they're using this. Um, to uh, build up their their power and control right. the market. But the thing is, you can't corner the market for forever and for long because something comes in. Like, for example, I've used the, uh, the example before of Blockbuster. In 2004, it was at its height. It had bought out or, or wiped out family video stores. It, it was had it controlled more stores than ever. Well, in six years, it declared bankruptcy because the internet had destroyed its business model. Um, or, or there was other ways to obtain... You know, they were doing like the red box or whatever, but somebody introduced something that they could not stop and respond to quickly enough. So if somebody comes up with an idea that they can't really control now, the difference is that they, they can now harass everybody needed to run a service. They'll go after your web host, um, host your server. They'll go after anyone who provides a private service that you need to have your website up. And so that's where I think where people are going to end up just start starting to do stuff offline because it's much, much harder to track um, by these these online social justice warriors and censors because they're used to being online and tracking what's going on online, but they can't track as easily what goes on in real life. Well, well did you see the uh, – sorry, Aaron, you go ahead. Well, uh, uh, what I was going to say is another angle that this uh, – I just looked up the PE ratio of Amazon. It's 380. It's insane. <laughs> uh, but what what another little bit of interesting number and in statistics to show you how there's rot on the cellular level and that these monop they're not just monopolies. Monopolies in the old Robert Barron days, they wanted money, damn it. That's what they wanted, and they'd go get it. 
but this this neo religion where we've replaced traditional religions with socialism that kids are indoctrinated with uh, out of the 94,000 employees that Google has. Remember how they had that walkout because women are just treated like shit uh, at Google in Silicon Valley was last week. Did you notice that all those women walked out and there wasn't a single glitch? YouTube didn't go down. Uh, (laughs) Gmail worked fine. Yeah, we had that global. The global shutdown was the other week when we were (laughs) doing the the lives. So all these women walked out and there was no glitch. I think, you know, I think uh, YouTube worked better. It Uh, might have. Well, my point was that out of the 94,000 employees, 20,000 walked out. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, that is two-ninths, uh, 22, uh, a fifth, a fifth of your uh, employees are social justice warriors. They they are putting their politics ahead of their career. They're putting their politics ahead of the company's mission statement. I mean, uh, your politics should not mix with work and politics are separate. But not for these people. And what's great is Google, they did it to themselves. These people, these these touchy-feely corporate social responsibility types of we're here to empower women and we're going to put politics and people ahead of profit. Okay, look where that got you then. But I don't know how long an organization that is rank leftist in terms of its uh, uh, corporate culture, you still get two out of every 10 people to walk out on the job. I mean, that level of... of uh, corruption and infection is going to affect the overall performance of the of the company down the road and so i think if, if uh, amazon well youtube doesn't doesn't make a profit amazon barely does but if you don't have good people in place and you have nothing but a bunch of political ideologues there's not a long-term future for these companies yeah there's this twitter sorry to interrupt there but i just want to say tw- apparently twitter never made a profit either yeah no. i don't think twitter's profitable and, you know, so how, how all the, you know, Twitter, um, uh, uh, YouTube and stuff like that, these venues are not making money and they're destroying, you know, because what, what do they take at Super Chats? 30 percent, Aaron? Was that they what? take 30 percent. Yeah. So they just pretty much destroyed that because like like the uh, the, the Ralph Retort or whatever it is that that used to have thousands of viewers. I mean, people used to line up to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to address something before you move on to the next topic about uh, them policing uh, the super chats and what people say. Well, apparently there's a new uh, language developing. Black Pigeon speaks to this good video on it where he kind of compared it to uh, Cockney in, in London. You know, there was like this Cockney accent where yeah. they wouldn't say the word, like instead of money, they'd say right. honey. And, and I was and, just about to sit, bring that up. I thought, because I was thinking this is exactly what's going to go on. Well, so now people are having conversations like, you know, yeah, I just saw these three Starbucks at the, you know, and these cosmopolitans, you know, and stuff. So they can't they can't censor that because, you know, they're using all these brand names to describe specific, you know, uh, identity of, you know, groups, you know. So what what's Starbucks is a bunch of swipple white people or something. What's Starbucks? I'm not sure. I I, I don't know if that's I just kind of made that up, but they're, they're right. They're using brand names to decide, like, you know, there was old ones, like I know they used to say the Skypes, um, and, you know, those are the people that are in a tribe, and, uh, you know, so there's all these different uh, different uh, brand names that they're using that they really can't censor, because what are you going to do, censor the word Starbucks? Um, well, right. they'll, they'll try, they'll figure out a way, I, I mean, if... 
if this petulant behavior on YouTube's part, this this truly bipolar behavior, if yes, I, I think they will. Because it's obvious that they, a very close second, if not tied for first to profits, is their politics. Like if you, well, the politics I, politics are well above profit. I mean, we've yeah. well reached that yeah. point. If they had been interested in making a profit or worried about it at least, they would have been curtailed. I mean, the, the the response to the walkout would have been much more severe. They would have said, "You you walk out uh, today." You know, when uh, I every job I've worked at, if you didn't show up for work, you got fired. So you didn't politically pro protesting my, my employer seems like a counterproductive thing to do. But if you work for a company that is, you know, they're not interested necessarily in making a profit or they're just not worried about it. But it, the convergence has, has happened a long time ago. Well, they, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm still amazed. I, I think it's just that they're fascinated and in love with the prospects of these technologies. Um, that you have zombies, they're not making any money, but then they still keep trading up and up in value. I think Amazon has a value of seven hundred fifty billion. Uh, and, and how long has it been since nineteen ninety nine? They came out almost twenty years old. Uh, I think it was ninety eight, but anyway. Okay, but it took them that long to make a profit. I mean, is the is the investment horizon really twenty years now? Heck, the the Manhattan Project we got off the ground quicker than that, <laughs> right? That was splitting the atom. Well, it was, uh, I can't remember what meme it was, but it was saying how quickly and for how little they built the San Francisco uh, Golden Gate Bridge, I believe it was. And they're talking about how much it costs to build things. Now, I really think that we've, we've been seeing for the last couple of decades, it's hard to put a, a fine point on it, but a war on competent, reliable, dependable people like a war on competence if you are a competent person oh, yeah. who's very skilled you know what you're doing you are somebody that we that needs to you know the best we harass these people we yes. treat yep. them like garbage and then we watch as these institutions fall apart i mean we're, we're going to end up seeing this with our infrastructure as our infrastructure the people you know the engineers and the architects or whatever as this ideology of politics take takes precedent um and it's interesting how even I guess I was noting how it doesn't necessarily have to be that case because Moscow during the communist rule built one of the best subways in the world. So it's not as though it always has to be the case, but it's just interesting that we tend to see people who are good at doing what they're supposed to do and prioritize that above everything else as being the enemy in, in companies like Google, the most valued, uh, employee is not the one who's going to be able to do all the technical stuff the best. It's somebody who touts the party line. Yeah, well, they so, fired the weird freak in the HR department. That's the that's the most valuable job. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's there's no. I've been going down this kick for a while now, but there is no reason for any talented person, male or female, uh, if you really want to achieve excellence, to be working at any of these large corporations, there's just no godly, and especially if you're not a leftist. I mean, you could just be a libertarian. There's just no reason to work for these companies because they're there's not they're not going to be meritocratic. And there's this. I mean, in the olden days, it was oh, right, like, well, if right. I work hard, I'll make money, and you'll realize that. Well, that's not it. Now, now it's like, did you donate to the United Way? Did you did you say the right thing on social media? Oh, do you, now did you go and help uh, at the food shelter? Okay, well then we'll promote you to director, but we can't do that otherwise unless you're like this corporate citizen. 
Yeah, Dick Cappy, did you read about how there was there's um, apparently a minority or a group of conservatives at Google, and they somebody was describing. I think it was James uh, Damore, the the one guy who got fired. Right. He was in his lawsuit. He was describing the the culture and atmosphere there, and I don't know if it was him or someone else, but he was describing how these conservatives would um, anonymously and very very secretively. Uh, speak online they would uh, chat on like discord or whatever and then they would meet in person and there was uh google employees who would spend their free time to try to infiltrate these groups meet up with them spy on them and then report them i'm thinking why if you have to do that at your company that you have to meet secretly and you can't discuss stuff why what kind of there's no self-respect there because that's when you walk because you're working for a company that hates you. Why, why would you help them make money? I know that they pay you, but how much money is worth your self-respect and your your ability to just, you know, having to hide the, your your um, fundamental identity is, and, and beliefs? Well, I, I don't even, <clears throat> I'm, I'm from the olden days where it didn't matter what your politics were, as long as you kept it off a of company time or, or dating or so, like you had, companies at one time did respect your personal life. Like, no, that's your personal life. We don't care about your religion. We don't care about your politics. That's what America is for. And there was this uh, common understanding among all people. It's like, well, no, you should be able to work where you want and worship who you want and vote for who you want and date who you want. And it's really none of our business. But apparently uh, with this this latest uh, generation of robots being coming off the assembly line, apparently your politics is their business and to the highest echelons within these companies. Yeah, I mean, look at, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey, for example. He's a total left-wing wingnut, you know, and he runs Twitter. And, you know, he's on, on there constantly censoring everything that, uh, you know, he finds offensive. I'm, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for him to ban Donald Trump's Twitter account. Uh, he might. He might. Yeah, I don't he think w- he will. Uh, that could – I my guess is the reason he doesn't and won't do that is because um, their stock value would drop. Because I think a lot of people would 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 – interpret that as a um, causing or inspiring Donald Trump and the Republicans in Congress to finally start cracking down on these big tech companies that on the one hand want to pretend like they're content providers, but on the other hand, want to argue that they're common carriers. And, you know, they want, they're, they've been straddling this fence for so long. So if they go after too big of a target too quickly, they're going to end up getting antitrust um, investigations going on, especially I, I, I'm not watching the election, but uh, if the Republicans hold Congress and they were to send kick Donald Trump off Twitter, that would be uh, that would not be good for for uh, Twitter's future. Well, I, I I would love I don't know about you guys, but this election, it's not that I want to see the Republicans win as much as I want to see the left melt down and have a conniption. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I want it just for the liberal tears. I, I want I want those compilation videos, more of those, like the ones that, <laughs> yeah, after uh, Trump won. You know, remember though, there was some great ones, and they they put they put it to music and everything of the, all the little special snowflakes crying and hugging each other and in their safe spaces, and they had it like was- universities. They only they had to like you know bring in puppy dogs and coloring books and you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of scary what I saw. Two years ago like the response it was like it was the response of 
uh, a nation that had ju- the people around me that I was seeing. Like where um, people, you working in the newspaper industry or something? Well, just being in, the, and John can probably attest to this as well, just being in the Seattle area at the time, um, there was this sense of like national mourning. Like they had just lost 30,000 men in a day in a battle or something like that. Like this huge, like they'd just been caught. Like the look, it was like that look of that famous uh, picture of a French guy as the, in Paris, as the uh, Nazis are mar- marching in, you know, like everybody's just in tears. That was kind of the reaction. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know. It was it was really unnerving to see people react that badly. It was it was a ghost tunnel. I'll never forget it because I went out the next day uh, to Uptown in Minneapolis, um, and I think like half the people of the city took off. You could find a parking space. There was no traffic, and this was a weekday. And I even have a picture of it. It was so eerie. I was like, "What is?" I'm like, "Did did did this really send that many people crying back home?" Yes. Did this many full-grown adults have to go home and have a, a personal day because of this? Oh. Yeah, it, it, it's terrific. It's, it, in Wisconsin, I mean, there were uh, public institutions, and I'm not going to you know name them, but um, where after the election, yeah, they, their higher-ups told the employees you can gather in a room, you know, listen to soothing music, have some tea. I mean... <laughs> This was, and then, um, I mean, I was hearing this from the inside, from some of the higher-ups that were kind of forced to to do this, to provide this, and it blew me away. I was like, really? I mean, come on. You're, you're kidding me, right? Like, no. They said, you know, Dave, this really happened. And then also the ability for like a week or two afterwards, you could get up and leave a meeting. And just because, you know, you were too emotional trying to process things and no one could say anything. You could leave, you could go into the quote-unquote safe area, you know, throw on the, um, you know, music and, and a little bit of tea. And, you know, uh, I mean, it, it was, I'm, I'm listening to this and I, 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 I'm speech, I, I'm speechless. I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm waiting for the punchline of, okay, <laughs> you know, it's hard to, right. it's hard to, 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 you know, trick the doc here, especially a day before his birthday, but, you know, um, yeah, and no, they're saying, and they were appalled by it. They were like, you know, but no, we have to do this or else it's our job. You know, we're we're going to feel the heat on this, so we've got to let this happen. But you couldn't bring up anything at a meeting, um, even if it was um, not related to the to politics. If people started to feel frustration or pressure, it, it became an excuse. It was it was an excuse to go to the, I call you know the hug box or the the pillow room or whatever the hell it was, and it's sickening. I mean, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm sitting, I mean, like this, this is insane. You know, this back in the day, you know, I, I can imagine if you were a Republican back in the thirties and you just kept watching FDR just crush every Republican can. I mean, there was some mat politically, uh, political massacres against some of these Republican presidential candidates back in the thirties. And back then you just shrugged, you went and got a smoke and then you went and drank. Uh, had a couple shots of whiskey at the local bar and then you went home and you got up and, you know, moved on with your life. But now like it, it really goes to show a lot of people truly have, have genuinely never seen, uh, never, there's never been a moment in their life politically where they didn't get their way on stuff. Mm. I mean, other than, you know, they like the, that's why they freaked out so much say when, when uh, president Bush won reelection in 2004, but really, 
in 2016 because I think it was really just the symbolism and this narrative that they have in their head that they never articulate. And to see it not fulfilled for them was so devastating. Like the idea that I, I think part of the reality was that, you know, she's going to win and this is what's going to happen. They already planned out the, what the future is going to be and it ended up not happening. Well, and what I got to ask, especially the younger generations, not the kid, but it's such a, <clears throat> the millennials at Gen Z is such a phenomenon of automatomic humans uh, and delusion and, and pamperedness and spoiledness. Um, they have nothing else. They have nothing else in life. And then whereas, you know, the Republicans back in the thirties, well, you typically had a family or you had to worry about putting food on the table because it was yeah. the great depression. Right. And now I'm wondering how many of these people, they just have nothing else. This is it. They're entire. See, and I've, I've said this before right. and I'll say it again. Uh, the Obama years, even though it was tragic for the country, it was going down the road of socialism. Uh, my best, my financially best years were during the last, uh, uh, administration second half of the obama administration and i had fun and i went to south dakota and i i enjoyed a lot of different things and i did not let the politics ruin my life and i don't think these people know anything but politics in their lives and they're going to be upset half their lives because half the time you don't win right and, and even if they've won you know aaron and even if they won what do they gain they it doesn't change the student debt, it doesn't change the unhappiness, no. the, the um, diazepam, alprazolam, whatever they've been just, you know, addicted to for years to deal with things, not to deal with things, to numb things instead of having to just process reality. Um, so, you know, it is this complete myth. Even if they win, they still lose because the next day they get up and, and the world hasn't changed. And, well, and well, you know. And may, may I also ask about like constant revolution? Like, I don't know if a leftist rests. Yeah, you know, a very curious question I wanted to ask uh, feminists. I want to ask every major political party or political group within the United States and say, what are the objective goals of X? And one of the things I'd like to ask of feminism, not that any one feminist would speak for the entire movement, but what are the objective goals? Like, what will make you happy? And I don't think they could ever because it's constant revolution. Yep. They, yeah. they, they need to constantly whine. That's why they live. And if they ever got what they wanted, if they ever sat the town uh, sat down to take the time to figure it out, then they'd still complain because they'd have nothing else. Then, then their entire religion is gone. They'd actually have to go into the real world and find meaning other ways. Yeah, I'm genuinely interested in what is the root cause because they they say stuff, but you have to translate what they really mean. And one of uh, I have different theories for this, but what is the cause of the angst? and restlessness and anxiety that these people have about just the smallest setback where they didn't win one presidential election. And it was, a, you know, a very, very um, uh, thin victory margin. I mean, for them to have this complete meltdown, it's like, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it's as though, I guess, what's causing them to be so anxious? What they, Yet they have achieved so much in the last 40 years. They've gotten everything they've wanted. So um, I think part of it is them never being satisfied. They, they, they think that if they achieve something, it'll make them happy, but it doesn't. And so they got to find the next thing. And so it's this continuous search for meaning and value. And I think also for a lot of these people, they don't have a lot in their own lives that they feel proud of. And so they're living vicariously through the political system. 
So when they see victories for somebody that they've never met who lives 3,000 miles away, they sense, they they feel like that that's something to take pride in individually. Like I voted for this person or whatever. It's no different than you, your your team won the Super Bowl or your team won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, well, the, it's it, that is actually a really good uh, comparison. Is that a lot of people who um, live vicariously through sports for the same reason? I mean, it's because that they don't have personal. This isn't saying that if you watch sports, you have nothing going on in your life. It's saying when you are obsessed with it, when you are emotionally invested in a player, you know, some player gets injured and you get really upset or a team loses the game and you're just can't, can't talk for the rest of the afternoon because of a bad call or whatever. That's a sign that you have invested yourself emotionally in, in the wrong thing because you don't want to invest in something that you have control over. Can, can I give my theory on this? Um, I think Aaron would, would kind of agree with it. You know, uh, his libertarian philosophy is whatever you reward, you get more of, you know, in, in economic terms or even, you know, social terms. And I believe that we we live in a society now where we reward people for being a victim. So th- that's why, because that's being celebrated, being a victim, everybody is just trying to claim they're more and more a victim. And that ties into that whole religion. Um, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, correctly. But what you're saying is even if they win, they've won by playing victim politics, so they immediately have to go back to being oppressed or discriminated against or somehow life isn't fair for them, right. and they just continue the struggle on. The struggle right. is real, and it'll never go away. Is it victim or is it victim and survivor? You know, like where George Soros now has has rebadged or been rebadged as a Holocaust survivor <laughs> you know, through through, I mean that that's that's the spin. You know, doctors that, at work, but that reminds me of that story about the kid who kills his parents and then asks the judge for leniency because he's now an orphan. Yeah, I just want to I just want to broaden that out though. Is it is I, I agree with the victim one hundred percent, John, but I I also think um, the term survivor has has become spread so you know over so many things with that butter knife, you know, that you're a survivor of this, the surpri- survivor of the depression, the survivor of, I mean, uh, not, uh, you know, of, of the recession, you're the survivor of this, of that, of, I mean, so, so both of those things give identity, which really aren't identity, but I mean, if, it's a preface. People, people will say that. Well, well, yeah, it's, it's funny you said survivor. Sorry, but this is right on his the vein of what you were saying. I was I was reading a, a feminist blog. Don't ask me why. And uh, they were talking about how they wanted to take back the word victim and not call themselves survivor anymore. And I think that, I think because that gives them more value. Uh, you know that there you get more props for still being a victim than than being a survivor because like survivor means oh I overcame I've done you know there, there's there's like a victory in there as opposed to being a victim is you know like they, they wanted to take away people calling themselves rape survivors and they wanted to rebrand it as them saying they were still your rape victim because the the victim narrative is so prescient. I th- I think you're absolutely right, John, about the whole. Um, the, the, the way to gain status is by being a victim. Um, the problem with it is that th- there's a schizophrenia that they have because they are completely virtually in charge of everything. Like and when I say they, I'm just people who hold these, these mindsets. Um, and, but the problem is if you're in charge, y- you have this weird thing where you're trying to paint yourself as a victim 
while being in charge. And so they're constantly changing the frame of the discussion based on if they're in power, then it's about, you know, fighting um, that they frame it a certain way, but when they aren't in power for that moment in that specific context, then they can paint themselves as a victim. Um, but I think that that's one of the, the so much of the angst. And I think the emo the mental, um, disorder, I, I guess you could just call it a mental disorder to call it for what it is, is because they're trying to paint themselves as something that is not accurate reflected in reality and they have to deal with that every day because reality is constantly contradicting their belief that they're a victim when oh, they're take a look could you imagine what it's like to live in the mind of rachel dolezal or uh pocahontas <laughs> a trans black woman <laughs> I, I, just, or, or, just or people trans- people calling for censorship um and then saying that they're not in, in they don't hold institutional power if you are in charge or if you are in power you are not, uh, you're, it's when you're not in power that people call for free speech. It's when they're in charge and in power that they call for censorship. So for people who claim that they are fighting the system to then call for censorship is, uh, it's, a, uh, it's just amazing to watch someone say that in the same vein or same sentence, but it requires them to be mentally disturbed to do so. Oh, well, the cognitive dissonance is, is unfathomable. I, I can't. I all the only the only good thing I will say about this is that these people will never be happy though either. Right. It's it's, it's one thing that I've I've always you know you gotta you gotta take joy and happiness where it is. But um, even if we do like let's say the Republicans lose the House and the Senate, uh, you know it's not going to affect my day tomorrow. Yeah, I would have liked them to win, uh, but I'm going to get on with my day. The Democrats could win both the House and the Senate. They'll celebrate for one day. Guarantee you, 48 hours, two days from now, they'll be back to being miserable and how they're oppressed, even though they got both Senate, both uh, houses uh, in the Congress. Uh, and I, I just, I'm thankful I don't have it. I'm thankful that I don't live the life of a, of a feminist women's studies professor or a soy boy male feminist or, or someone who, whose happiness is contingent on some schmuck getting elected into a position of office. Yeah, it's, it, oh, you're going to say something, John, go ahead. Uh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I've just never understood that. I think, but I think that's part of what drives them is just envy and resentment of those who are able to be happy. Uh, frankly, it's just, I think, narcissism where they see people who are, who are based, who are living better lives. They're, They've invested in themselves. They're taking responsibility for their own actions. They're we got better. a lot of chicks. Yeah, they're they're. Um, but more importantly, I think that one thing that they really resent is people who are able to be content with what they have or or whatever the circumstances are. They're able to find happiness um, in stuff that it really has nothing to do with politics or whatever. And I've I've observed this in uh, in real life where there's almost this sort of anger of how, how can you not be upset about this? Or how can you not be angry about this? Or right. how do you not think this is a problem? And, and, or, or people will get upset when they see somebody who's too happy um, or just satisfied. And Absolutely. it's because they need all this stuff to happen for them to feel happy. Yet this other person doesn't need that. It's, so it's a form of power to be content um, in that way and also a form of self-control and they don't have it. And so when they see somebody who is better than them, uh, they can't have that. You People do not like being around uh, – people who, who are uh, in the wrong mindset do not want to be around someone who's better than them. 
people who want to better themselves want to be around someone who's better than them so that they can learn from their example. But people who are like that, self-destructive, uh, they'll want to destroy other people who are um, content. Well, I was going to speak to uh, Aaron's point. You know, he was saying that, um, you know, the way he has lived his life is that, you know, like, yeah, if the Democrats win, he's like, yeah, that that sucks. But, you know, wake up tomorrow and, you know, he's going to go for a nice hike or he's going to play golf or whatever it is. Um, that's all well and good. But the problem is, is like not only are these people miserable, and I agree with you that uh, they are miserable. You're absolutely right. The problem is, is that they will do everything in their power to fuck with you and make you miserable. Right. 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 They won't leave us. That's that's one of the problems with enjoying the decline and but also acknowledging that the these people will not just go destroy themselves off in a corner. They well, your, will destruction their goal. That's what's going to give them value in life. Th these people are missionaries. They will go out into the last places in America that that, that no, people who believe the who think the way they do would never want to be, just so that they can spread their misery to others. It's almost like a misery is like a plague. If someone's miserable, they want to infect as many other people as possible with it. They're all, it's almost like a zombie uh, virus. You know? Vampires, vampires. Yeah, you got to just keep – and I think that that's a good way of, of putting it when you're saying – when I, if I was to say why I don't want certain people around me or in my area, I'd say because these people are miserable and they're going to bring their misery with us and they're not going to be – and the only thing that will make them content is making us miserable. And so we don't, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want the people who, who are going to cause that kind of issue in, in my community. Well, that's why you left. I mean, that's why John's moving they're, they're, anytime. That they will fall. Yeah, they will come that, here. Yeah, that, that's the thing is like, uh, you know, TJ, you talked about this. They're starting to encroach. I'm like wondering, you know, because my plan was actually to go to, the, was actually to, go to Boise. Yes. And now I'm thinking, well, that's out. Uh, because of what's going on there now. And I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, where the fuck do I got to go? You know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to live a Ted Kaczynski life in the woods. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I was, I'm a city boy and you know? I grew up in New York for Christ's sake. I'm, I don't do well without, you know, uh, hot running water or indoor plumbing. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like that point is like, there's nowhere left to run. At some point you gotta, you're going to have to take a stand. Um, right. So I, I think that that's what's going to happen. I think people are just going to realize, uh, you know, when 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 some of these states are start that have been red for a long time are st and and maybe I'd say more conservative start to become, uh, you know, when when we've run out of places for people to go, you know, right now we're seeing that with Texas and with Montana and with Idaho and and um, and other states, people are going to just realize they're they're, they're going to stop moving. They're going to start digging in there. Well. This, this is a possibility. You never know what people are going to do, but they'll start digging in their heels and they're going to become more um, vocal and ardent and defiant and resistant to changes like the stuff that we see in cities where they, these people move up from, say, California. They implement all these policies that, that ruin an area and then they move on to the next area. Yeah, it's like they, a it's get, and they eat all the crops and then they move on to the next. Well, it's, you know, I was talking to Cappy about this on, our, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where I think that we're going to see states starting to, at some point, they're going to need to start enforcing their own restrictions on state residency or who's like, you got to control that because you can't build up something and then allow anybody to come in who can then vote to destroy it all. It, like, the people are just going to stop trying to build something if they know somebody's going to come in and destroy it or if they're going to take it away. And so I don't know when that's going to happen. I'd say at some point when the federal government's no longer uh, politically capable of enforcing its own will.
it's just too weak because it's financial. I, I think there's some, I'll paint a little hope for you there, TJ. Uh, major metropolitans have always acted as a sponge for young, dumb liberal people, uh, young, dumb conservative people. Uh, but largely liberal people want to go live in the major cities, waste their youth in a major city. And so I think they'll continue to act as mega because, you know, everyone wants to go to L.A. or New York because it's on the TV show. And by gosh, I want to do that. And I think when you get out into the burbs or you go into smaller uh, uh, areas, what you have to worry about is the Californians are the retired types or the people who can no longer afford to live in California. But they're they tend to be older. They're selling their house they're getting out of Dodge. But I think especially for for younger generations, the city is still going to be holding people and keeping them there. And God bless it, because I want them to suffer in traffic. I want them to pay $8 for a latte. I want them to get parking tickets. I want them to live their socialist utopia. Well, I, I, the only thing that I think we'd have to be cautious about with that is that they will swell up the cities, and then they will spread. The, the cities will stay the same in terms of growth. They will then spread more of those people will head into the suburbs, as we've been seeing. Then they'll head into the rural areas, and they'll start populating those. What you will also see in Washington State is all the wealth is really in Seattle. And so what you have is a lot of people who have amassed a lot of wealth, and then they go into these rural areas, and they um, you know, artificially raise the housing prices by buying a you know piece of property, right. putting a huge mansion right. on. And then they – because a lot of them – we see this in my community where people want to – live off the land or they want to have that rural life. And then they're shocked to discover snow on the ground in November. And, (laughs) but, but then they say they, like one guy was telling me how um, relatives moved from here to Idaho and started complaining about how they don't have all this stuff over there. And he said, you do realize that you're, you moved to a state with, with a low tax rate. Well, you're not going to get all the same stuff that you would get over in somewhere else. And so they, they move to these areas and then get a, get upset when it's not exactly the place that they left. Like they always want to have their cake and eat it. I understood that moving to a rural area, I was going to lose some stuff. Um, uh, there was going to be some disadvantages, but I, it just seems really immature. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. Um, and I'd really appreciate, you know, what you guys have added. One of the things uh, right now in Wisconsin, so record referendums for, uh, school building happening today, and most of these will pass. And in my in my perspective, these are passing because you're getting the younger generation to vote, and it's kind of like student loan. They don't feel they're ever going to have to pay the piper. So yeah, I'll vote for the $85 million high school with the auditorium and the swimming pool and all of the stuff. You know, when we went to school, my God, the school is 110 years old, you know, four stories and you know, whatever. But I mean, it is everything. It is it is every bell and whistle. And they vote these things through. And the percentage of approval is sky high. It's never been this high. Like what so, are we looking at? 60, 30 or what? Oh, or, God, higher, higher than higher than that. Higher really? than really. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm guessing um, 75, 80 percent. And, oh and, and Aaron, you're talking and guys, you're talking buildings that are not like functional buildings. You're talking buildings that have, you know, all these massive accessories. And, and, and again, you know, you're, you're putting on like a performing arts center that is something you'd see in a downtown in a large community, you know, because you have to have it. You have to have the pool with the 10 lanes. You have to have. And, and this stuff gets voted in. And in, when I was young, I mean, 
you know, it was very conservative when we had the elementary school replaced in our town. It took a few referendums and it was, you know, a basic structure that served its purpose. Mm. But my God, today, if you do something like that, I mean, it is it is everything. And I just I don't think people expect to pay the debt. And, and so you're having all of this massive public infrastructure in in form of schools, public buildings and stuff like that that are going up with with really not much opposition I, because I agree. people don't expect to pay. They just don't expect to pay it. It's true that uh, it, we can see this with the student loan bubble. A lot of these kids, if you asked them, they would say, oh, I was under the impression that if I couldn't pay them off, I could just you know declare bankruptcy. Well, then they, they're shocked to discover that they can't um, write it off as part of a bankruptcy. And all, yeah, it's true. Like that is a mentality that I've noticed a lot, uh, especially with the people my age and younger, is that they always expect someone else will pay for it. And I think what we're witnessing and, and this desire by all these people from all parts of the world who want to come to this, this incredibly racist, sexist, oppressive regime known as the United States of America all want to come here. <laughs> um, the reason that they want to come here is because they want to uh, plunder this, this um, spigot that are because we're the world's reserve currency. They're able to print out all this debt that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. And so there's just, and the, expand the credit. And so they're just plundering. They're, 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 everyone wants to, um, have their mouth underneath the spigot while it's free flowing and then off to pay for it. And then for a lot of them, you can just raise taxes and then move to another area when it gets too expensive. Yep, Meanwhile, yep, you got it. You got it. Pro- people who do not own property should not be able to vote on a property tax. I mean, I agree. Uh, I don't know if anybody's read Starship Troopers, the book, it was not, uh, it's a, a political treatise really disguised as a science fiction novel. But uh, the author's point for the society he's depicting is that if you want to have power in that society, you need to have skin in the game. You need to have responsibility. So if you wanted to vote and become a citizen, you had to show that you were taking on responsibilities, that you had a sense of obligation and duty to the society and culture. Now there's people who they don't, uh, they don't feel like they owe anything. They feel like that they're owed. And when you have that imbalance, that lack of reciprocity, uh, this is what you get. You get people who are just here to consume um, because they know that somebody else can be forced politically to uh, continue, not only continue to produce, but pay for what's being consumed. What what you also have to consider, because this has been part of American politics, gosh, probably for the past hundred years, uh, but turned up to 11 more so now, is how the quote rich are not considered humans who worked hard or that their life. No, the, 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 if you're rich, well, you're a rat bastard and you should give that to me. And nobody, nobody stops to ask, well, isn't that rich person? You know, this is why I would draw a difference between inheritance and an income tax. But uh, most of your rich people did earn it. They didn't just get it to hand it to them. Uh, and, but this, it's, it's like, uh, oh, that's our punching bag. You know, oh, we'll just get it from the dirty, rotten rich. They're not humans. They're, they're, they, they benefited unfairly. And for everyone to think like, I don't have to pay off my student loans. I should get bailed out. I should have this for free. I should, I mean, almost 85% of the people who are expecting all these handouts and give me that, I, I guarantee you, they're like, well, the rich should pay for it. The rich, that's because that's what they've been taught. Well, right. so it's, I don't even think it's something as maybe as conscious as 
oh, well, I'm going to go get free welfare and this and that. It's, well, I'm entitled to that because those rich people benefited unfairly. And so that's that's democracy. That's what democracy is for, is us to spread the wealth. No, right, you so know, people I, like, oh, go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to tell a quick anecdote. I saw a video about Halloween and they were kind of like, why, uh, I think it was like, why socialism doesn't work or something to that effect. And it was, uh, a, a surveillance camera outside a house on Halloween, and they just left the candy in a you know a big bowl, so the kids could just come in and take a piece of candy. You know, each kid. and there was a picture of a black woman with her with her kid, and she literally empties the entire bucket of candy <laughs> into their bag, and they just walk off. Like no one is, no one gives a you know that, that, that's another thing. It's like not simply polarization politically, you know, left and right or concern, whatever you want to call it. It's atomization where no one feels, uh, you know, and there was actually studies done in this where the more quote unquote diverse and enriched society gets, the less social trust there is. Like you guys are familiar with that study it was actually done by a liberal who actually sat on the results for a long time. <laughs> like, Shock. And, uh, but you know, the, 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 you know, all these things that people don't even think of, like uh, just like whether or not people even uh, try to get on the school board or, or things like that, or, or how much they talk to their neighbors or, in, you know, engaged in, in just, you know, local community activity, the more diverse the society comes in, people just kind of hunker down and don't know their neighbors, don't want to interact with them, don't, you know, because there's that. There's no sense of, you know, what I call tribe. That's why, you know, when people always ask to identify my belief, I just say tribalism because it just wraps I, up. I don't know. Do you even have like uh, the town I live in is small enough that you could have it. But I've never had this community or neighborhood feeling. You know, it's it's kind of like, now nah, this is where I live. Leave me alone. Um, I, and maybe I, maybe I, back I, in the 50s that was the case. But nowadays, I you know, I got neighbors that I like. But, you know, I could split town and get out to South Dakota anytime. I, I have no no community attachment holding me here anymore. I, I, I lived in, in the suburbs outside Seattle. And I'd say my community was actually pretty... I don't want to say tight knit, but there was definitely what I would call uh, what John was referring to as social trust. Uh, and moreover, uh, a community that I, I, not that I live in, but it's nearby, it's rural communities. I was at um, some sort of an event where you could buy dinner or whatever, but it was based on the honor system. You would tell them what you had ordered. Like they weren't keeping track or whatever it was. And so uh, the sign of a healthy society is the degree to which they're, they rely on the honor system rather than Right. You know, direct enforcement. If they don't need to enforce stuff, uh, if all they can rely on is just we trust you and there's this sense of incredible shame if you don't follow the rules and you actually care, that means that there's that social cohesion. But the uh, a society that has no honor system is a, uh, a it's going to die. It won't survive. Yeah, I, I almost guarantee that correlates so well with uh, the corruptions perceptions index. I, I almost... If I if I ever wanted to go back to studying economics and sociology again, which I don't unless I'm paid an egregious sum of money, I'm sure somewhere in there uh, with your corruption scores is also low trust society. So um, you mind if I get some of the house cleaning out of order, uh, out of the way here? No, go for it. That's your okay. show. Okay. Uh, we have no fan mail. I did that on the other podcast. Uh, subscribe and like if you guys are listening. Go ahead and like the uh, like the thing. We don't have super chats that might come back later, but if you wanted to, you can always go to olderbrother.com slash donate where we got PayPal, Patreon, and more importantly, uh, the Amazon affiliate program. So if you wanted to help out the show, you can do that there. We don't have to worry about uh, YouTube getting upset and getting her tits in a sling. 
because somebody said something that she didn't like. I'm going to call her she. It's like an old Iron Maiden uh, YouTube is. Uh, if you want to email the show, email us at olderbrother at yahoo.com. And then what else? Uh, we got, uh, oh, and do your uh, Christmas shopping. Do it now before Thanksgiving. Do that now through the Amazon affiliate program. We also have a couple other sponsors here. We have the Pence Principle, uh, all lessons, uh, vital lessons. All I don't have the book here. Uh, lessons all men must learn from Fort Kavanaugh. Uh, you can go ahead and read through that book, which is a good book. The Great Emu War. It is put out by the Quintessentialist. You can find him at the-quintessentialist.blogspot.com. Orionscoldfire.com. Check him out on all of his photography there. If you're interested in taking a break from politics and you'd like to look at just some nice pictures, you'd be like, oh. And then indemandcareer.com. If you guys are looking for a job, may I recommend going and training under Seth Himes. Learn some digital marketing. It's a fraction of the cost of college. And unlike most college degrees, there's a job at the end of this training session. Go to indemandcareer.com and check that out there. And that's it. That's it for the for the uh, for the uh, office clean. John, what did you send me here in the chat room? Oh, uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, apparently, last night MSNBC uh, put put up a story uh, declaring the Democratic uh, the, the Democrats winning the gubernatorial race in Florida, like a night before the election. Jesus, yeah, here's November fifth. Unreal. <laughs> Look at it. you can click on it. It's like hey. Too close to call, 99% in. My gosh, they have a telephone uh, line to God. They know exactly what's happening. I, I think, oh. you know, it's pretty wild that, you know, they have 99% of the voters in and, like, before before the polls <laughs> open. That was great. It was like. Oh, jeez. All but right. That just shows, like, the, you know, there's, there's no news programs anymore. Everything is just spouting an agenda. You know, no one's right. anymore. They're, that that those days are gone. You know, if they were, if they even ever really existed. I mean, I guess I can remember a time where there was some hard news. You know, people who, what, where, when, how. Um, yeah, I think that back in the day, it was considered um, like a, a breach of professionalism for a reporter or just a journalism outlet that's mainstream to be blatantly. Uh, just, just the way that we've seen them behave uh, towards uh, the president and during these th things, it's it's almost like they they're they're not an arbiter or arbitrator or whatever. They're not trying to. It's like activism, which is what it feels like. It just feels yeah. like that they've they're got a media a, arm for the Democrat Party. That really is what the mainstream media. I mean, it, Fox did not form in a vacuum. It formed in response to just a horrendous bias uh, in our fourth branch of government. Right. It's been amazing to, to watch this just, uh, but I was seeing this even when I was uh, studying journalism where, you know, I had this very old fashioned, um, you're the fly on the wall, you're just listening to the conversation, you're reporting what's there, you're not injecting your, yourself into the situation or your views, they're not, uh, they're not relevant. But a lot of these other kids were saying, oh, I want to go change the world, or I want to go fight you know, corporate power which I didn't understand if you're going to go work for someone like NBC or CNBC <laughs> or so on. It's like, hmm. Uh, or they, they just had this very activist mindset that we're really seeing now, except these people are a little bit older than, than the kids I was going to college with. So it's, it, I don't know. I, I've never understood why there's been this ideological bent inherent because journalists back oh, in the Oh, you 30s, know the answer to that. You can figure it out. Come on. You can figure that one out. 
No, I, gen- I genuinely, like, I had this very almost private detective view of journalism uh, that, that I had. That was what I wanted to be. I wanted okay. to be like, you know, one of those, uh, if you, any of you watched it, called Northside 777, that's with uh, Jimmy Stewart. He's an invest- investigative reporter, but uh, that, that's what I had in mind, was somebody who was almost acting as a, a private investigator, whereas these people are almost thinking they want to be a street activist. Right. But, but you do, Doc, do you know why journalists are all bent to the left? Why our good oh. friend T.J. Martinell is the only <laughs> non-leftist? I, I, I'm going to have to punt on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doc. John? Uh, no, I'm going to punt to that one, too. I want to hear this. Wow. Okay. They're lazy. Who goes into journalism? Oh. I mean, look, that this is, this is the funding premise of worthless. Look at lazy people. What do they do? They go major in lazy stuff. Who's lazy? Leftists are. They want other people's money. I mean, you, you hit it right there on the, the head there, TJ. These people want to go change the world or fight the, or, or, or change lives. Fuck you, journalism majors. You guys should shut the fuck up and report the goddamn news. That's it. That's all you do. But Right. But journalism used to be a lot harder. I mean, some of the legwork that some of these guys did, you know, they'd be you'd have the be, uh, the uh, crime reporter who'd be um, in basically embedded with cops at the station where he worked really closely with them. They would look they'd have to go do all this legwork to come up with statistics for a story. Um, when when they were doing genuine journalism work, they were talking about this is what the numbers show or this is what's going on you know, around the scenes. And there's still that kind of work going on. It's just it's becoming Where? by like 73 year olds on the verge of well, I mean, I mean, to, to their credit, some of these newspapers and journalism outlets occasionally do good journalism work where they do investigative work, um, like the work that was done uh, against the Seattle mayor. I mean, that he ended up resigning after I, I don't know how many of you followed that, but he ended up having to resign because of this really, really good investigation into his prior, um, uh, uh, interest in adopting um, uh, young, you know, foster boys. Yeah, he was a pedo, just, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Right. No, he was a real sick fuck guy. Excuse my line. Oh. No, but that, that guy was really bad news, and he almost got away with it because they had believed that the – because he was living in Oregon when this was going on, and uh, the CPS records or whatever they call it in that state apparently were believed to be destroyed, and he didn't resign, and then they 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 turned up. Uh, and that's what finally doomed him in. But he was going to, you know, he was this real left-wing liberal, homosexual, you know, LGBTQ, LMNOP guy. And, uh, you know, he wasn't going anywhere until it finally came out. And I don't know how much of that work, honestly, TJ, was from reporters or it was from independent journalists feeding the information to the reporter. You know, that's okay. I'll 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 concede on that point because a lot of journalism work is also just having good sources who will provide you with information and then you just go publish it. Um, like the, the Pentagon papers, uh, they just published what someone else <laughs> had gathered for them. Um, and so that is true. Um, what, what was funny about the mayor is he yelled at the newspapers for saying, Hey, you need to get the whole story. So they, they went afterwards and that prompted them to go dig into his life even further. So it, it, doubling down in that instance is what got him hung because the first time they, they came up with a report, but it wasn't damning enough. Well, then he challenged them to look deeper. They did. And that's where they got that organ report. Yeah. And then you find out that this guy should have, you know, been behind bars, but. Right. And maybe, maybe he didn't even have to double down if he just wasn't a pedophile in the first place. If you weren't diddling little <laughs> kids, maybe. I'm no, did, I'm did, no you know, did, did you know he, uh, it, 
John, you know this, where he gave his press conference for when he was resigning. To, to what about his press conference? Like the location he chose for his press conference when he announced he was resigning. No, I don't. I forget what was. Where was it? It was out. It was outside of a Seattle bathhouse. Oh, for God's oh, sake! God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because of course it was. <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, that's the that's the kind of place I live in, guys. So you know, be kind to me. I, I this is the city I live in. Uh, it's <laughs> be it's kind hard. to me. It's hard for me to be here. I'm not kidding. It hurts. Going outside. I mean, it's like it's it's a constant of you know audio and visual assault on me every time I step outside my condo because I'm you know all the women are fat blue haired freaks and all the you know men are these emasculated soy boy guys with you know negative T levels and you know everything is about your your white male cis hetero privilege and just you know how hard it is for me just not to shoot people, dude, dude. You have, I, I agree with you 100% because I don't know if you've ever heard the term negative externalities. Anyone remember Economics 101? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and that's what ugly people are. And it's not just ugly people, but ugly people make ugly things. They wear ugly clothing. They make ugly buildings. They, they don't keep their cars in good working order. Um, it, and they themselves are ugly. No, I totally get like, and we're all guys here. What, what inspires us? What gets us up in the morning and go to war? No women for me. Hot chicks, yeah. Well, I don't know any other guys not that way, but yeah, it's hot chicks. <laughs> and man, I remember the last time I was in Seattle, it was Tacoma actually, and I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, man, I, I, I it's against the law, but I could definitely start shooting everyone with a tattoo, <laughs> and I'll run out of ammo. The the, the, the ammo factory next door is going to run out of ammo. I'm like these people are hideous. They're raping my eyes, and yeah, I can see. <laughs> yeah, Where, it's a mic. We need to paint. That is a microaggression, right? We need to start being the, the moral uh, deciders of whether someone's physical appearance is a microaggression. It's, it's graffiti. It's, it's human graffiti. It's just ugly people and nobody likes to see it. And so I could totally understand where John is depressed. I mean, at least in Chicago, you got some old school, nice buildings that are kind of cool. The architecture is great out there. The women right. are still hot. But man, when I went to, to Seattle, I was like, what the hell? I'm like, no way. Just And I avoided Portland with all my might. So I don't well, even know, you know how what? bad that is. Believe it or not, I know this is really hard to believe. Portland is actually even worse. Yeah, uh, that's what it is worse. Yes. You know, don't ask me how that's possible because I mean, I, I, Seattle, it's like it's so bad. But I, I agree with TJ was saying. Uh, you know, it, it being it's a microaggression that. Look, if you're a 300 pound woman with blue hair and uh, tattoos on your chest, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to go outside. There should be an ordinance against that. I shouldn't be. You know, you know what I think the angst in Portland is, or the the cause of their their the whole <laughs> mental situation is that they're a city that's dedicated to fighting just ardently dedicated to fighting racism and they're in all like the one, the most whitest city in the, the country. So it's they, like, they are what they claim to be fighting against. And they've even kind of acknowledged this in some of the writing. Cause when that one guy from, I, I think he's from our, our state, Joey Gibson, the Patriot prayer guy oh, was yeah. down there. And I remember reading some of the articles where they almost conceded that point. They're like, first of all, Joey Gibson is not white. So, but they were calling him white, like white people are calling him a white supremacist uh, when they live in an all white. I just well, like, I see. They, is he black or what is he? Hispanic? race, but he's, he's okay. some Hispanic in him, I believe. Yeah. yeah, but it's just it's that's the like the delusion. It's almost like um, 
people trying to fight. It's almost like someone who sees themselves as a, a Puritan fighting for uh, uh, traditional morality when they live in a, a brothel. And that, like, and then, like, that's the insanity of of these of some of these people. And I think that's the cause of of all the insanity in Portland is that they are living the life that they claim to be fighting so much, and so they got to go out there and find it somewhere else yeah, to, when, to distract. When you guys said Portland was worse than Seattle, I I'm like, no, I'm not even going anywhere near that town. <laughs> I'm just not going anywhere near it. You don't want to get PTSD. I don't want to get. I don't want to get tuberculosis. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I just don't. I just don't uh, want to know. I I will. I will, and I have because if you look at Chicago, you could go through Southside Chicago. There's if you stay on Highway 41, it's not that bad. I I ridden my motorcycle through Southside Chicago. I would rather go through that on my motorcycle, Southside Chicago, than go through Portland. Because I, I think it would just. I just. Not only do I think I might actually be safer, but I think the people of Portland would be safer if I just don't visit them. <laughs> <laughs> probably be best i don't end up in jail yeah uh yeah so that that's why i you know uh for a couple of reasons i'm not going to get onto publicly but i do have to wait before i can move here uh out of here and i'm hope hopefully i can sell my place in the uh because the best time to sell your place is late spring according to the uh mm-hmm. right the, right uh, so I'm hoping that that's when I can do it. But there's a couple of things that are outside my control. And hopefully by then I will have figured out a place to go. You know, if not, I'm just going to be rooming with TJ and the Cascades. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, <laughs> let me give you that a copy. I'll send you a copy of that reconnaissance, man. And I'll give you some ideas there, John. It, it, it will kind of divvy up the United States pretty easily for you. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to stay uh, like a big thing for me is is, is uh, gun rights. So it has to be a, a state that uh, has those protections. Yeah, we'll cross fingers on on tonight. So that <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's something that well, I don't know. Did you hear that psychotic? Uh, I think she's running for governor in Georgia, uh, where she wants to go around and collecting the assault weapons, you know, door to door. No, I just know about the initiative that's Jeez. that's being voted on tonight in Washington, and. It, it would make us want. It would make our state have some of the strictest gun control policies in the uh, in the nation. And Washington's it, it hasn't been the greatest, but it's been pretty good. Um, and especially when you get east of the Cascades, there's a very strong hunting culture um, here and and gun culture. So, culture. well, um, just just leaving. Just uh, if you go north, even too, it's it's pretty strong. Well, uh, shoot, you go down south to you know areas outside of Vancouver. It, it's you know, it, it's just amazing how different the state's culture is and how different. And even in even on the the west side of the Cascades, but it's just this is, um, I, I don't know, like how if it passes, it's. This is where I do genuinely but there is am no constitutionality issues with that, the way it's written, isn't there? Right, but I don't have a shred or an ounce of faith that the legal that the courts will shut it, uh, will will strike it down. I, I have no faith. If it passes, it's going to be enacted, and um, I'm con- I'm not quite sure what to, how I'm going to. Rest- I, I won't be buying a, a firearm in Washington State ever again. Yeah, no. If if some if any more restrictions on guns, I'm gonna have to get the fuck out of the state because that that's uh, the hill that I die on. <laughs> Literally, that's the one thing that you know. Once you lose that, then uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm gone. Well, I don't know if you heard about it, but in Oregon, there's an, a guy who went around getting ballot measures in ten counties where 
the sheriff will have, if they pass, the sheriff will have the discretion to decide whether he wants to enforce uh, a certain gun control, a state gun control law. And so that's something that could be tried here in Washington state. And so, like I said, I'm thinking of, of whether to kind of look, try and push that idea around to people who can actually get word out. So are you saying, TJ, then, I mean, literally it could be county to county? Yeah, yeah, because this is really a uh, microcosm of, uh, you know, states not enforcing federal laws. Well, then counties, and we we saw this with one state law where I think concerned gun racks or something like that. And east of the Cascades, a lot of sheriffs just said, we're not enforcing these policies in our counties. And the sheriff is the guy who decides whether or not a policy. It's it's kind of a reverse of what you see in Seattle, where these law enforcement officers are, are being told not to enforce certain laws. Well, great. You guys want to let a junkie shoot up heroin in front of a college girl on her way to the UW? Fine. We're not going to enforce your gun control law over in our county. And it, it, like the, the the door swings both ways on that. It, you can't have it both ways. Well, it's funny in Seattle. I remember there was they had a, a I don't know if it was the actual chief of police, but I've been a deputy uh, deputy chief when they passed that uh, you can't smoke within twenty five uh, feet or twenty five yards of a, a restaurant or a business or something like that. And the cop was basically on the news. He goes, "Look, we don't have time to deal with this bullshit. We're not." You know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. Right, but uh, but what makes this one of the provisions in this law so bad is it's saying if somebody break somebody obtains your if your firearm is not properly secure quote unquote and someone else steals it and uses it in a crime it you will be charged with a felony so they're they're my car and run someone over it's my fault right or if somebody you know were the airlines responsible for 9-11 when they got hijacked you didn't properly secure your you know your pilot's door or something like that i mean it's it's placing liability uh, unfair liability on an owner because if I'm in my house and my, uh, something I have is in my house and somebody illegally, if someone has to commit a crime to obtain my firearm, then the liability is on them. It's not on me, but th- that's what they, so it's a passive law. So it's, they can enforce it if they want to. And that that's what we really will see. Cause I know for a fact that a lot of um, federal gun laws are not enforced if the perpetrators are under a certain age. They just won't bother. They, for whatever reason, I think it's because if, if it's a juvenile, they won't even touch it. So juveniles can commit, um, violate federal gun laws without any fear of being prosecuted because that's just their policy. Or at least it was back uh, when I heard about it in the 90s. <sighs> I want to go back to the 1940s, even though I was never there. I just just speculating it might, it might be nicer. So, um, I'm looking up here on the Google. <clears throat> it looks like 73 seats have been declared in the Senate. Um, 42 are for the Republicans, 30 are for the Democrats. One, I'm going to assume, is Sanders, the socialist. Any upsets? Uh, which uh, website are you going? I'm, I'm just on Google. They just got like a simple chart. It's, it's still too early to tell. 43 out of 435 seats declared in the House, 24 Democrat, 19 Republican. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I'm sure. Cause like, how long does this go till? Does this go all night that they start counting the ballots and everything? Well, in the, in this places where the race is going to be tight, it might, you know, it might, I don't know. Uh, um, uh, I don't know. We, we'll have to see how tight the races are. The tighter it is, the longer it's going to take for them to call them. 
Um, but right now, the House, they, yeah, they declared 42 for Republicans, 24 for Democrats. But there's, what, 434 or 435 members in the House? 435, yeah. So it's it's going to be a long night. It's uh, I don't think I'll stay up to watch. Because uh, we'll, we'll be able, if, if, if the Republicans win, I'm sure there will be videos of people crying. And we can all binge on those tomorrow. Well, I just I know people are going to text me. They're going to say, can you believe this? Or if we win, you know, well, we but if if certain people keep the house or whatever, uh, I, I'm going to just go work out and then, you know, do something else more productive than watching the race because other people will tell me after it's done. Well, I might listen to one of the uh, – there's a bunch of live streams going on, and I might listen to them because there's some interesting person. Like Forney's doing one now. I might listen to him. Uh, just to support because he had he's been he's been uh, he lost his streaming privileges he's another victim of the youtube purge yeah that's that that's why i don't i was it was it also because of the super chat thing or what no uh aaron i don't know if that's going to protect you buddy um but your your channel's fairly sanitized but uh if they i don't think it was because of super chats Okay, well, if if they want the, if they want to shut me down, they're going to shut me down. It's just it it it's uh, I'd like to postpone that as much as possible because it's a royal pain in the ass setting up you know having multiple streams right. or multiple YouTube channels. Royal pain in the ass. I don't want to do twice the amount of work, but we, I guess we gotta. Yeah, so Forney's on Twitch, and I just I do want to you know because I think it's fucked up what they did to him. So I do want to support um, you know his uh, his channel there. Plus, he said mm-hmm. that every time he gets a donation, he's going to do a shot, and I kind of want to see him keel over. <laughs> Say, Doc, who's uh, who's racing against Walker? Uh, he's he's his seat up for election now. His seat is up. Tony Evers, uh, the Department of Public Construction um, director, so mm-hmm. he's running up against uh, Walker. It was a tie per the Marquette ballot, which I don't really put much weight into. Uh, you know the Marquette poll. Um, University but, Marquette. Yeah. So, you know, if that were to be the case, then we're going to have a massive influx into K-12 spending and back into the UW system. And, you know, frankly, you know, UW system, the tuition is has been corralled. Um, I don't think the quality of instruction has decreased. Um, I mean, just my observation. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we'd have we have some things to pay attention to. I've got, you know, my daughters obviously, and there was a tuition freeze in place in Wisconsin promise that governor Walker had put into place, Mm. um, which was very favorable. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the turnout is strong. So I, I'm not sure where that's going to go, but I mean, that's a stark contrast of, of, you know, positions versus um, you know, Wisconsin is pretty booming, you know, for an economy and especially Dane County, you know, where Madison is in Metro Dane and, and everything kind of building out there and um, interstate work is, has been progressing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm concerned. Yeah, definitely concerned about it because it's, it's going to impact. Um, I think the growth in the state, if we go to, if we go, go democratic, I well, I, I'm just thinking if if you get out, and move out to South Dakota, it'll be moot. I think that'll be it'll be uh, 
And then we'll sit there smoking our cigars, drinking our scotch, laughing about, ha ha, you see what they did in Wisconsin and Minnesota? Yeah. I was out there this summer. We stop at an overlook at uh, Custer Park and, and this uh, elderly couple pulls up in their RV and they're talking to us and really nice. And the guy said, where are you from? And I said, oh, yeah, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. He kind of steps back. Madison? He's like real political, right? I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, I'm not into. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is the, that whole that whole area is just all goony. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. I mean, as you said, it's it's kind of like the Packers. I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, it's like you're always watching the Packers on Sunday, and finally, you know, at least for me, I matured to a point where. I didn't have to watch the game or if I watched it, you know, I watched part of it. And the next day someone would say, well, you know, whatever happened or this and be like, I, I didn't watch the game. Be like, you didn't watch the game. You're from Wisconsin. You have to, you know, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. He's not already depressed about it. You don't know if he's going to win or lose and you're already down about it. I think he's, I think he's going to, I think he's going to win. I, I, I think he's going to win. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think he's going to win. The, the large turnout, I think, is favoring. Um, I I don't know. I, I think things are going. I think things are going well. People aren't. And, and you know, after so many terms, you just you just change out. You know, that's that's the way it happens. People only last so long, and they get voted out of positions. And and uh, unless you're John McCain and it takes a brain tumor to kill you when you're in your eighties, <laughs> yeah. Well, shoot, so, how long was Tommy Thompson the governor? I, he was always governor when I was a kid. Ah, Tommy Thompson. Eight, 16 years, 20? Yeah, didn't uh, Tommy got the funding through, I think, from Miller Park, you know, for the Brewers. But, yeah, Tommy Thompson was there a long time yeah. and went up to the state level or the Fed level as what, Secretary of of whatever. Health and Human was. Services. Health and Human Services. Yep. Yep. My, Michael Moore hated that guy. Did he? Uh, yeah. Name one person Michael Moore likes, though. I mean, uh, that, that... Apparently, he hates all white men. And uh, there was a really funny video by uh, Paul Joseph Watson where that you know I don't know Mike Michael Moore is. By the way, he's a disgusting fat creature too. He fit right in well here in Seattle. Right. But uh, yeah, but I just wanted to touch on one thing. I don't know if you're going to be wrapping up soon, but yeah, we'll I... wrap up soon here. One of the things that I I'm actually glad about, um, you know, I don't about I don't have kids, and I'm I'm getting I'm I'm getting older. I'm the oldest person in this stream by I think four years or something like that. I think that's good uh, for me because I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about them coming home when they're like nine years old, telling me they're now transsexuals. Um, I don't have to, uh, you know, when when the when things finally collapse, I think I'll be you know dead or have or be have dementia, won't know, won't care. Um, so. I really, but I really, my heart goes out to like these young people with families and stuff like that. And they have to send their kids to these indoctrination centers and stuff like that. And uh, I heard these horrible stories about where the white kids have to write essays about their white privilege and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't know how I would handle that as a, as a parent. So, Oh, I don't know. How about homeschool or find another way to educate your kid? And if that requires you, you know, earning less money, so you can't buy that all the new toys and, raise your social status with people who do send their kids to these schools and have their lives wrecked. Uh, that, that, that's what really frustrates me is that uh, we, you have to be living on Mars to not know what's going on in these schools. And yet parents can, are continually shocked. Like there was that one school where they had a career day and they, the principal brought in a drag queen 
And <laughs> I, I, people were shocked. I'm like, I, I just get, I get really angry now when people turn to me, like, can you believe this? It's like, where have you been living for the last 20 years? Where? And I, I, I get, I kind of snap now at some, some of the time with, with people that I've known for a while. I don't snap at strangers because I don't know what their, the whole thing is with them. But um, it's, you, you're not ignorant. It's just laziness. They don't earn, or it's too much to make the, the painful, you know, admittedly so painful. Damn kids. That what gets me angry. It's like, you're, it's your freaking kids. You're not taking yeah. an interest in your, in your education. Well, you know what it really comes down to people. It's social status. When you pull your kid out of those schools and you uh, raise them on your own, you lower your social status in our society. They think that it, it's, you know, homeschooling still has that stigma. Um, and, that, that those people are seen as weird and then people, you know, feel uncomfortable. Why are you homeschooling your kids? Why don't you want to put them in the, the these schools like us? You're sure. different from us. It, it's, it really goes back to just lifestyle changes that you can make to better yourself. But the cost is um, isolation from a large segment of society. And you may not even want to associate with other people who are doing the exact same thing. You may be homeschooling your kid for a completely different reason. You know, like my idea of, of homeschooling would be, fundamentally different from what most people think of homeschooling as it is now. Um, you know, there, it would just be different. So uh, it's, it's hard, but you got to do it. If, if, but people don't think that way through, they don't think that far ahead or they're just not putting two and two together. No, I, I've, I've largely gone. I mean, I, I look at doc and, and frankly, doc, you're brave having kids. I mean, I look at you and, and you get your nuclear family, you guys are together and you take your kids, you take the time, actually invest in your kids you take them to south dakota you take them to the zoo or whatever um but i i'm with i'm with john on this one like well the other thing is john tell me if i'm wrong here but you and i could probably barely feed ourselves up until you know we were like 41 or 42 let alone if we had a kid come in you know i'll tell you um an anecdote my my daughters have their birthday in summer and they both had you know friends over um you know, for their birthday. So my wife will make these handmade pinatas. She'll take the time and she's really good at it, you know, just for the birthdays. And um, so I'll I'll hang them up, you know, in the garage and and get everything, floor all clean and everything. And it's amazing to see these other kids who have never had this experience before. They've, they don't, you know, they don't know what it is. And, and this actual where it hasn't been manufactured for them and, and you're participating in this, this you know game and turn taking and and i mean it is i said um you know to my wife afterwards i said this it's obvious some of these kids have never had this type of experience in their life um and some of these games you know that we just set up you know some of the games where you you fill a a little pool with like wet noodles and you know like spaghetti stuff and then you have to find something in there and the one that finds it the quickest but i mean sure. just like kids games in the tail on the safety doctor we, we have, that one? Yeah. yeah no but that's actually um a, a game yeah that yeah i kind of like you know a, a modified you know pin the tail but i mean stuff like that that these kids have never experienced you know in and it is it, here's one thing that I'll tell you. Here's here's something that gave me some hope in humanity. Halloween. So, you know, kids are coming up. There was a kid dressed as Bob Ross. You guys know, you know. Bob the, Ross, yeah, the, the painter. Yeah, the, the painter. Yeah. The, kid, the kid was spot on. He had two kids with him, and they were both canvases. Like, they had just their heads were showing. 
and he was like he came up and then he's like dabbing a little paint you know and it was it was the coolest <laughs> i have ever seen and i'm like dude thank you for like connecting with my generation with this this bit you do not know how much i appreciate this you do not know how cool this is and this uh, it was so yeah i mean um the, that i i just i got a big smile out of that and, and i will say you know the kids the kids coming up i mean were very polite and it was you know respectful um and so but but yeah i mean it's you, yeah, so I didn't want to go all black pill on you. I'm just saying, I guess. <laughs> no, no, but 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 the other part, like, John, but then it is, you see the kids, but you look out on the road, and then the parents are vaping and stuff like that, you know? So you, so you see, it's like only a matter of time before the innocence is lost, and then they're inculcated into, you know, this, this broader socialism. Or drugs. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's sad. Well, can I tell two funny stories about Bob Ross? God, yes, Bob Ross. Um, so you, you guys, though, uh, I think, well, Aaron, you know Jennifer, right? I don't know if I want to say her last name on air, but. Uh, uh, Aniston? No. Aniston. <laughs> Aniston. The, the, rational, the rational redhead. Oh, yeah, no, I know Jennifer, yeah. She posted this really funny video of Bob Ross. She has five kids and she homeschools them and she's, you know, uh, she's aces. She stays with them, does all that, you know, kind of stuff you were saying that your wife does and everything. But there was a video that she took like on her phone and it's like all her kids were watching Bob Ross and she has five kids. And it just showed like she just put it on. You know, Bob Ross talks like this, like, oh, we just want to have a little bit, a little bit of gray in the sky, you know, the whole. And they just show all her like she just pans like the living room and all her kids are passed out asleep. Like, it was so funny. Like, this Bob Ross, you know, just is so relaxing his voice. And it, it, you had to see it was just really cute. It was kind of like uh, cleansing the palate of your soul watching something cute and innocent like that. And, and, but another really funny Bob Ross story was where uh, Stephen Crowder dressed up as Bob Ross and you painted know, Muhammad. Yeah, that one was <laughs> And he painted Muhammad, and he's like, but he's, he's doing it really funny. He goes, oh, and then we have to paint his wife, and uh, she's six years old. <laughs> Painting her, little little Muhammad's wife. Uh, you know, and he's doing the voice and everything like that. And it, it, it was just funny. I mean, you could, you know, both of those videos were just hysterical. One one obviously had the political agenda and everything, but uh, the, the, the Jennifer one was really just cute, you know. Yeah, yeah so. Cool. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad that we did have a good Halloween. Uh, TJ, how much uh, candy did you get when you went trick-or-treating? Oh, I just stopped by your house, and you left all the candy out, so I just <laughs> threw it. <laughs> it in my bucket. Aaron, did you, did your neighbor stop, and you know, was, was her stuff blowing around again, your neighborhood? Remember? No. She knocked what? on that door. And, remember that? that? That one podcast you were doing, neighbor? Somebody knocked and said Halloween decorations were flying around your neighborhood? Oh, yeah. No, that was that was some crazy lady down okay. there. Yeah, no, that, that was different. No, I thought you meant that I have trick-or-treaters, and I, like, I'll, I'll tell you the story, then we'll get going. But when I first moved into the WBL, it's it's like a old town. You know, it has an actual downtown center. And I'm thinking, oh, there's got to be a ton of kids here. So I went all out because i don't forget what it was like to be a kid i got the full-size snicker bars i got the tartan tinies i got the popsicle rings you know i got i got the good candy that is... i probably spent spent around 60 bucks on candy you know and not one trick-or-treater not one and i had just this vat of sugar 
And I'm like, I can't eat all this. I end up giving it to a buddy's kid. Um, but yeah, it's kind of sad because I, I, I don't mind giving out the good dope to the kids. Um, but there, there's just no kids do trick or treating out in my area. Well, Baron, you went as a millennial, so you naturally took it all and just assumed that someone else was going to pay for it. No, I didn't even go out. I just expected other people to give me their candy. <laughs> you, you, expected, you expected people to show up to your house to give you right. free candy. To give me the free candy, right. That's it. All right, gentlemen. Well, listen, I'm going to call that a, a night because I got to go and uh, watch some Mission Impossible and take it easy. Uh, Chad Elkins is stopping by. He's flying into town. And so I got to clean up the place a little bit, only to guy level of cleansliness, not girl level of cleansliness, but guy level. So I think I might clean the toilet, but that'd be about it. Um, but anyway, uh, Doc, uh, tell people where people can find you. Sure. Uh, safetyphd.com. Cool. John? John underscore steel 99 on Twitter. Best place. All right. And is, uh, is that the best? Do you get any new videos up on YouTube? Uh, not, I did one like a, well, 10 days ago, but that, that's okay. the last one. That was a John Steele show on YouTube. Okay. And uh, TJ, where can we find you? Uh, you can all go to tjmartinell.com um, and then soundcloud, eh, soundcloud.com slash tjmartinell. Cool. So, all right. Well, gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. We'll do this next week as we always do. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. See you guys around.